What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feiderman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the hunt for Fox is on. Comcast and Disney going head-to-head to battle over the meat of the media giant. But who has the inside track? Our own David Faber will be here. Plus, we are just two days away from a potential government shutdown. This is the House and Senate are still battling over the tax bill on Capitol Hill. We'll bring you the very latest details, tell you what it could mean for the markets. And later, the banks have been the Teflon trade of the year despite a tough environment, but something just happened that could spell trouble for the whole group. We'll tell you what that is. But first, we start off with the global sell-off. Markets everywhere from Europe to Asia to South America all getting hit over the past month, except for here in the U.S., which despite the recent volatility is still up more than 1% in that time. We know it's a small world after all. So is the U.S. the next market that's about to crack? Well, let's quickly say the VIX closed lower again today. We mentioned that last night. So the warning signs are not there in the VIX. Pete can speak to that. But I'll say this, and we've mentioned this now for the last couple weeks. The sell-off in the Hang Seng Index, to me, has been very interesting and something you have to continue to watch. I mention it because look at where we topped out in the Hang Seng right at the beginning of 2008, right around 30,000. Look where we traded up to and failed over the last couple weeks. And the sell-off has been pretty... uh, Pretty quick. And I'll say this as well. Ten-year yields in China have gone up to 4%. It's clear the Chinese government is tamping on the brakes, but you have to wonder, when they're trying to ease on the brakes, is that some cause some sort of cascade effect? Right now, it's manifesting itself in the HSI. And you have to wonder, does it make its way on our shores at some point? Are you worried? Well, it has a little bit. If you think of two of the biggest stocks in Asia, in general, Tencent is one of them in China. is down about 12% from its recent highs. That being said, it was up massively, right? And, you know, a huge ramp over the last couple months. And the other one I think is interesting to keep an eye on is Samsung um, in Seoul. Um, you know, this thing's down about 15% uh, over the last few weeks, also from an all-time high. I think that's pretty interesting. I think you almost want to take it back to Europe a little bit, especially, you know, we're going to be focused on yields here in the U.S. We have a, a Fed meeting next week. I mean, you look at the German tenure. This is the largest economy in Europe. They've already up, upgraded their GDP forecast to 2%, 30 basis points. We got some breaking news here on taxes. Let's get straight to Elon Moy in D.C. with more. Elon. Melissa, Republicans signaling openness to a 22% corporate tax rate. I talked to two key Republicans who said this is on the table. They described it as a dial that they can turn to pay for other priorities such as an expanded deduction for state and local taxes, for example. Now, this is something that President Trump had floated over the weekend. Republicans had initially expressed um, hesitation in going to 22 percent, but now it appears that they are more open to that number. Now, members of the House Conference Committee on Tax Reform will be meeting tonight at 7 p.m. This is expected to come up during that meeting, so we'll get more information after that. Back over to you. So state and local tax deductions could actually survive if the rate goes to 22 percent. Does the AMT, uh, both on the corporate side as well as the modified individual in the Senate plan, does that go away then? Does that make it more likely that that goes away? 
I think that they would no longer need the money that they would right. raise from the AMT if they went to a higher rate. But even if they kept it at 20%, all the indications that we're getting is that that AMT will likely not make it in the final version of the legislation. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in D.C. So, uh, you know, this could make it more easy for the, the conferees to actually come to an agreement here on some sort of right. hammered out plan. And, and for the high earning uh, income tax states, excuse me, like California and New York, that could also be a good thing. A little bit of a good thing. A little bit I of mean, good it's thing. not a, yeah. you know, if you're, it's a little bit of a good thing. I think to the extent that 22 makes a deal more likely, mm -hmm. that's good, but to the extent that they had to go to 22 right now already, I don't know, maybe it's a little more contentious. I don't know. I kind of think that, that the taxes are priced in more than the probability. I feel like they're priced in a lot, and there's a little more room for trouble meaning it's so, priced, priced too close to it being a done deal. So in, in, in terms of the couple-day pullback that we've seen in the markets, in terms of this sort of turn in the international markets that we have seen as well, is it a sell-on-the-news sort of thing? Well, I think this is, just shows us once again that whether we like it, don't like it, whatever your political side is, negotiation is going to be a part of this whole thing. And obviously Trump just the other day talked about, well, 20, but maybe we can move to 22. And obviously what we're hearing now is looks like it's going to 22. So... It seems to me there is plenty of room still for negotiations to get this deal done. Now, do they? Still not 100% feel confident that we do, but it sure feels like, Mel, to me that everything's up for negotiation. This FIFO thing, I think, is another one of those things that eventually probably gets out. But over time, you know, it's another negotiating tool that's, that's on the right hand, the right right now. And they're going to obviously work with the left trying to get everything worked the way they'd like to. This is negotiation. Hey, hey there's no left and right deal. here. It's just right. OK, there's no left. They're not involved in that, Pete. So it's really their own party. And, and so at the end of the day. So the guys in their own party, the 41 that are against right now. I mean, obviously, what I'm saying is you're going to get these guys to be Listen, on the same page. Can I tell you what the real right? problem is with this whole scenario is what you started out the conversation with is this budget talk, you know, on Friday. I mean, if they shut down the government and don't make no mistake about it, it's the Republicans again who will be shutting down the government in inability to negotiate with the other side to get the votes to extend the budget. If they shut down the government, then all this tax stuff gets pushed out. And then the longer that people get to see what's in it, it's the worst for them that you actually have the other side taking a look at it. So to me, they wanted to jam this thing down. And that's why I think Friday is a very important day. This Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't actually think this Friday. This Friday is like the phony end. I think it could go, I don't, I don't think we see a deal Friday, and still that's okay for another, I don't know, several days at least. But in terms of what we've been saying, the cracks in the global markets that we have been seeing, you highlighted HSI, mm -hmm. um, we also saw, you know, MSCI, Asia X Japan at a two-month low, we've got copper rolling over, we've got free, the likes of Freeport McMoran, Southern Copper not doing well. What does this all mean I, in, I, in, the, in the prism of hey, look, the tax deal might go through. Look, I can make an argument that it's very bullish for U.S. equities. You could say maybe cash from the, those markets find their way here. I could say maybe they're leading us. Listen, I think the German DAX led us by about three to six months at the beginning of this year um, in, in its way up. And we sort of followed if you look at the lead. So if Germany, if, if Europe and China have been leading, it stands to reason that maybe it can lead us on the way down. But the VIX closed down again today, despite yeah. the fact that the market was lower. So the VIX is telling a completely different story. So I can't get that overly concerned. I'll, I'll say this again. 
What does concern me, I know Tony Dwyer's been on here at least a half dozen times saying I shouldn't be worried about it, but the speed in which the yield curve continues to flatten is somewhat alarming. You're talking about it now at like 52, 53 basis points at levels we haven't seen in a decade and a half. I don't know what it means I'm not an economist. I say it all the time. I'm not funny enough and I'm not humorless enough <laughs> to be and smart to be an economist. But that being said, it means something. Well, that goes back to what you're saying about the buns. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, mean listen, that's a, essentially a weight on the 10 year. And, and the only thing I would point. say is that I don't think that that, you know, global equity markets down a couple of percent from all time highs is a particularly troubling sort of thing. And we said this last night. I mean, what I would find really troubling is if you had leadership like Samsung, like Tencent, Alibaba move its way into our shores. We did see, you know, Facebook at one point was down 8% from its highs. If that thing started to steamroll, we don't know what it's like. We haven't been in that situation since q But that's the beauty of what the United States offers, and it's why everybody always says, what's the best place you'd really like to be? And I'd always say the United States. I've always said that. You're I would continue guy. to say that. No. But here's why. When you really think about this, why are we a healthier market than everybody else that you just mentioned? You already said Tencent. You said Samsung. You said, you know, you go through the list. You're talking about technology, right? And yeah. in some cases, you're talking about other areas in the marketplace that are not something that we we really have been rotating. We've rotated from the financials to technology to industrials to back to the financials, back to technology, back to financials. The rotation and the healthy rotation of what we've seen in the U.S., they don't have the same sort of flexibility in the markets everywhere else in the world. They're usually dependent on either some form of the technology world, maybe it's financial, but there's always a support of one, and they don't have what we have right now. All right, for more on the markets, let's bring in Mike Wilson, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist at Morgan Stanley. Mike, good to have you with us. Good to be here. You've got a pretty bullish case for the S&P 500 in terms of your target. What does a 22% tax rate versus a 20% tax rate do to that target of 3000 yeah. Well, first of all, I think the the 22 number is uh, is not is not a, a sort of not coincidental. Okay. Um, you know, there's still discussion about delaying the tax cut till 19. That's in the Senate bill, and it just so happens that a two percent rise would actually pay for bringing it forward one more year. The reason why they put it to 2019 was to pay for the 1.5 trillion dollar deficit. So I think the two percent is there to bring, make sure it gets done in 18. So that's a big deal. So I think that signal. Is, is very is very positive, quite frankly. Um, it, it means it probably will get done at, in the 18 year. As far as our numbers go, at at 20 uh, percent, it was a 7 percent benefit to S&P. At 22, it's about a 6 percent benefit to S&P earnings. It's bigger for small caps. It's more like 10, 11. So the 3,000 uh, target was a year-end 2018 target, but you were thinking that the tax, uh, the lower corporate tax rate, wouldn't go into effect until 19. No, we weren't thinking that. I'm saying that was a risk. Okay, that so was that a risk, risk right. I think now is off the table. If they're willing to go to 22, I think they can bring it forward to 18, which is a big deal. So the 3,000 target, just to be clear, is our bull case. Okay, our base case is 2750. We've had a 2700 target for this year. We've almost reached that. So that doesn't seem that exciting. Okay, so let's talk about the bull case, the 3000 bull case. How do we get there? Well, first of all, we think earnings are going to top in terms of rate of change sometime next year. So in order to get to 3000, you need to remain, financial conditions need to remain stable. Okay, so we can't have rates spiking or credit spreads widening out. The other thing that I think that has to happen is we have to finally see the individual investor come in. Right? I've been on this show many times saying we haven't seen the individual investor come in yet. And it's classic, right? Now that tax is becoming visible, we may start to see some of those flows. And if you get that euphoria, I could see a 3,000 target as opposed to 2750. So let's say that we do get the Fed coming in, maybe a little bit more aggressive if inflation ticks up. What, how sensitive is your model to a move higher 
than, well, you, than you already anticipate. Yeah, so first of all, you know, if the Fed raises rates faster, I don't think the back end goes up. I think it goes down. So that actually argues that multiples can go further. What it does do, though, is it tightens financial conditions. And so, there's, so there you get credit spreads widening. And I think the, the, you know, our model is sensitive to financial conditions tightening. That's part of our call for 2018. We're not as bullish as we were last year for the, for the year forward. We think 2750 is the right number because we think earnings are going to top, financial conditions are going to tighten, Okay, and at some point later next year, we're going to see a contraction in multiples, which is a reversal of what we've been seeing. Mike, Volatility I hate to tell you, 2750, your base case, who off of the S&P that's 2630, it seems kind of bearish to me. You know what I mean? Like you think that the risks are actually in the, you know, they're, they're not particularly priced in at this point, especially yeah. with guys uh, 11 VIX, that sort of thing. I just want to make one point. You know, you say um, about retail, we haven't seen them yet. Where do you think most of the investable assets that are sitting on there, you think they're in red states or you think they're in blue states? <laughs> I, I mean that seriously, yeah. because the salt thing is a huge deal. And if, if people in the blue states aren't going to get that tax benefit, it, then where's that retail money going to come from? Well, there's a lot of retirement money in Florida, just to be clear, and in Texas as well. So in the warm states in the south, there's a lot of retirement money. So I don't think that's as big of a deal. But what I do think is, is that, you know, the, the retail investor has been putting money into bond funds for eight years. I mean, this year alone, $200 billion into bond ETFs and mutual funds, $41 billion of outflows from equities. So you just see a little change there, right? Just a little change. And you can, you know, you can gin up a little bit of animal spirits and, and drive multiples even higher from here. All right. Uh, you like... Financials, industrials, energy, and technology, yeah. right? Okay. So, I mean, but this is yeah. important. To, to, to Pete's point, I mean, cyclicals are still working. So until cyclicals stop working, I'm not worried about a, a serious market top. And the breadth is still quite good. The rotations matter, right? You rotate out of tech, there's somewhere place else to go. The whole index doesn't have to go down. All right, Mike, thank you. Thank good you, Melissa. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley. What did you do today, Guy? Well, look at Dollar Gen. We talked about that. We, what did we do, that power pitch a couple weeks ago? Fast pitch, yes. We did the that, too. Pitch. We did the fast pitch as well. And in addition to the power pitch, we talked about Dollar Gen. You talked about Dollar Tree. Dollar Tree. Uh, Dollar Gen reports, I believe, on the 7th, which, if memory serves, is sometime tomorrow. That stock is within a whisper of an all-time high. So despite the naysayers, there is a trade in the retail side that still is working. I'm a little bit more concerned about the concentration among the biggest stocks in the world in our markets here. There's five of them in the NASDAQ 100 that make up 45% of the weight, okay? And so if this thing were to snowball, so to me, what I did is I put on a first trade in a long time, a bearish QQQ trade over the next couple of weeks. I think this thing is going to start to steamroll, especially when you look out, we have the Fed meeting next week. Maybe we have the budget, some sort of showdown, which would lead into some tax showdown. It could be a little sloppy over the next couple of weeks. You've hedged in the past. Are you hedged now? Yes, a little. Well, a couple of days you guys, a little early, sold some uh, J.P. Morgan calls. I just feel like the banks had, I mean, it was nirvana. Um, but I'm still very long banks. I would actually think about taking a little bit more money off the table there. And I would, you know what, I should have put on more protection early with the VIX even lower than here. I didn't do that. I'll look at that again. Pete? Bought a little AT&T. Bought some Walgreens today as well. Bought some Lululemon as well. Just, just mm. for earnings. Nice. Not because I have a long-term mm. conviction. But just into earnings, just because I think the menswear would be something that would be very big along with e-commerce. You've been wearing a lot of it? I, you fit into I, that I, stuff? I actually really enjoy it. Yeah, it's very comfortable. Yeah. Very, very comfortable. That's yeah. part of the really story. That's the part of the story. story. But yes. to Karen's point, the financials, I mean, we, we had seen nothing over the, uh, but the last couple of weeks was financial buying. Those had a huge spike to the upside. We had a little bit of a pullback. But still, Wells Fargo and some of these names, I think, still look strong. I wear the boxer briefs, the Lululemons. They're fantastic. Yeah. You would or you'd do? No, absolutely. They're great. 
What? You, you make up I agree with them. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 it's no, really part of the story. I remember he had talked about exactly yes. that thank before. You, yeah, thank you, Mel. Like, anyway. commando. Um, and moving on, coming up, <laughs> that's way over the line. Yeah. The Fox Hunt is on with Disney and now Comcast, our parent company, in hot pursuit of the Murdoch Empire. So who's got the inside track? Our David Faber, who first broke the story, will be here to discuss. Plus, we touched on it earlier, President Trump threatening a government shutdown this week and pointing his <coughs> finger at the Democrats. How likely is it? And what should you buy if it happens? And later, we're all over the after-hours action. Lululemon and Broadcom both on the move following their earnings reports. The conference call is underway right now. We will bring you the latest. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The fox hunt heating up as Disney and Comcast continue to pursue its assets. David Faber, who first broke the story, joins us with the very latest. Hi, David. Hi, yeah, never a dull moment here. The latest uh, news, of course, Melissa, is uh, the potential or likely extension of uh, Bob Iger, the chairman and CEO of Disney's contract, um, beyond his current plan to leave that company in the middle of 2019 if, if Disney is successful in buying those Fox assets. That does appear to be the most likely outcome as of now. Uh, as I reported yesterday, Disney actually succeeding in buying those Fox assets for uh, a deal that would top some 60 plus billion dollars worth of Disney stock and the assumption of uh, some Fox debt associated with various assets taken on. Uh, and you can imagine, given that, why Fox shareholders, who would conceivably own as much as 30 percent of a combined company here, would be concerned were there not to be continuity of management at Disney. As it currently stands, if the deal was to be announced even, let's call it, late next week, it would take a year or so to close it, given the regulatory review. And then Mr. Iger would only have about six months to oversee the integration of what is by far the largest deal that Disney has ever done. Yes, he has done significant deals to acquire Pixar and Marvell and Lucas, but all of those were relatively contained. Nothing like this deal, which would span the globe, involving, of course, uh, Fox's assets in India, in Latin America, uh, in Europe, as well as those assets right here in the United States, including the studio and the Nat Geo and FX uh, cable networks, and most importantly, perhaps from a value perspective, the regional sports networks. Our parent company, Comcast, continues to pursue those assets as well, that same group of assets. And frankly, the offers from both sides, according to people familiar with the situation, are very similar. There does, however, seem to be a desire on the part of Fox to prefer Disney's ownership of them, perhaps because they prefer the currency that goes with them, perhaps now because they're going to get a bit more comfort about management staying in that job if, in fact, uh, if in fact the deal does go through. And again, also because of continued concern about an antitrust and regulatory review that some believe Comcast would have a tough time passing. So we'll see where it all ends up, Melissa. Of course, we reported much of what, what I just said yesterday in terms of this deal getting close for Disney. Comcast continues to be uh, in the hunt, though less likely. Uh, and Mr. Iger, perhaps not going to run for president, something that he has been giving serious thought to of people who are familiar with his efforts tell me, uh, but would have to step aside for if he were to stay on as the chairman and CEO of Disney beyond his current contract. At least not in the next round of elections. <laughs> like At least wouldn't. not for 2020, yeah, exactly. that's right. Um, in terms of Comcast, David, you know, we've talked about this before, uh, that, you know, our parent company, very interested in, in broadening its international distribution. It's the Sky assets, it's the Star uh, assets in India, it's Latin America that they want. I mean, 
if, if I'm a shareholder, and we are shareholders of Comcast, let's be clear about this, yeah. should we be concerned about our parent company perhaps overpaying, getting into a situation where it wants these assets so badly that it could come at a price? You know, I think that will be an issue uh, on either side, should this deal get done. If it were a Comcast deal or a Disney deal, when you're talking about the sums that we are and the exchange of the number of shares that we are here, Melissa, I think that it's fair to say that some people will question the valuation. Uh, as I pointed out many times, this will be a taxable transaction, and so they're, uh, they need a very high price, the Murdochs, to a certain extent, you'd imagine, in order to say, okay, we're willing to take an 8 or $10 billion tax hit uh, for the overall company. But yeah, it's a fair point. Now, that said, the synergies on either side are fairly significant. You combine two studios, you're going to save a lot of money. The regional sports networks, perhaps there might be some savings involved there. But the international exposure, certainly from Comcast's point of view, is perhaps the most important of it. It does represent as much as 70% of the overall EBITDA of this company, uh, or I should say not of the company, of the assets being uh, purchased, potentially purchased. And it would, as you say, take what is almost an entirely domestic company into a different realm in India, in Europe, and as you pointed out, and well, in Latin America, very importantly. Uh, is there somewhat of a waiting game going on, David, at all, in terms of waiting to see what happens with, with AT&T Time Warner in order to decide who actually, which bid to actually consider? I understand that Disney, as you report, is the front runner, but if T Time Warner goes through, could Comcast all of a sudden sort of catch up there? Uh, they're not going to wait that long. They're not yeah. going to wait that long. My understanding is that um, Fox would like to make a decision on this sooner rather than later. And again, as I reported yesterday, perhaps as soon as later next week, mm -hmm. so you may see some board meetings in the not-too-distant future. That would not give Comcast enough time to prove that case, to, so to speak, if Time Warner AT&T were to succeed in, uh, in, in being able to go ahead with its deal and defeating the government, Melissa. Um, and you can make some arguments on antitrust on the Disney side. I mean, the Disney and Fox studios together in some years could represent as much as 50% of the film production output. Um, the regional sports networks added to ESPN. Could you make a case that, well, maybe that's got some competitive issues? You know, there's, there's no shortage of them to be had, but it does appear at least the comfort level is higher on the Disney side. And that AT&T deal uh, or court case would still be some time away before they make their decision at Fox. Right. David, thank you. David sure, Faber you. joining us from the New York Stock Exchange tonight. Uh, are you in Disney still? Yeah. They almost shook me out, though. Well, I, I almost really? got shook out. Yeah, because I was disappointed in what Bob Iger had been doing over time. And now the fact that he's been kicking tires and the fact that he's been negotiating with Fox actually kept me in the stock. So it saved me a couple of dollars anyway. I think it was like $98. Now it's <laughs> $105. But I want to continue to hold even more now with the idea that if this Fox assets come through, the international and the sports, the Nat Geo and you all like the things. You like it even David, better if a deal happens. I sure would. And I also like the idea that Bob Iger says, hey, you know what? I could extend this a few more years out as well because I do think he's still the right man. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm sort of lukewarm on Disney. To the extent that Iger does stay, that's good. Right. I think his stewardship has been outstanding. Um, but I think we don't know what they're going to pay. Some price might be too expensive. I don't know. I don't know how critical they see it, so how much leverage they have to negotiate a good deal. On the other side, Fox may be not having so much leverage either. So I don't know. I guess it doesn't make me want to jump out and buy Disney right here. Right. It, it sounds like uh, Comcast wants to do a deal of some sort. Comcast wants to expand itself, probably internationally. Yeah. If this deal doesn't happen for them... Where do they go? Well, I think this deal sort of, well, it doesn't have to happen for them. But let me, I don't want to, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to shirk your question, but let me say this. I think 
I can't believe I'm about to say this. I think a lot of this has to do with trying to get ownership or majority shareholdership of Hulu, believe it or not. Right now, Comcast, I think, owns 30 percent. Disney owns 30 percent. I think Fox has 30 percent. You know, you would have then 60 percent if they were Comcast to then compete, you know, ground war against Netflix. So I understand all the different properties, but I really think what this is all about is trying to beat Netflix at their own game, which, quite frankly, is a difficult task. So if they lose and Comcast is also minority. I don't know what happens. Then, then they, got to, they have to hold on to their Hulu stake, but I, I don't know what happens from there. Coming up, the chips have been a wreck, and there was a big trade in the options market that suggests even more pain to come. We'll tell you the name they were betting against. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. The Democrats maybe will want to shut down the country because they want people flowing into our country. The clock is ticking on another government shutdown. And we'll tell you what to buy if it actually does. Plus, America has gone crazy for cryptocurrencies. And all next week, Fast Money is taking you inside the world of Bitcoin. How to buy it, how to sell it, how to be a crypto baller. The biggest names in the world of digital currency on Fast Money, all next week. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's now down to just two more days. Congress has until midnight on Friday to approve a spending bill before the government shutdown. Let's uh, get to Eamon Javers in D.C. for all the details. Hey, Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. That's not a whole lot of time to cut a deal here, but Democrats will be coming to the White House tomorrow after missing that meeting last week in a brouhaha that erupted over the president's tweet. They'll be back at the deal table tomorrow here, but the president today uh, saying that he thinks the Democrats might want to shut down the government over immigration. Here's what he said earlier today. The Democrats... Uh are really looking at something that is very dangerous for our country. Uh, they are looking at shutting down. They want to have illegal immigrants, in many cases, people that we don't want in our country. They want to have illegal immigrants pouring into our country, bringing with them crime, tremendous amounts of crime. Uh, we don't want to have that. House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi responded to that in a tweet saying President Trump is the only person talking about a government shutdown. Democrats are hopeful the president will be open to an agreement to address the urgent needs of the American people and keep government open. At this point, Melissa, the expectation is they will be able to get a deal for a short-term continuing resolution, keeping the government funded at current rates. That'll put the deadline back until around Christmas, and then at that point, they will have to come up with a deal. The trick here is that the White House needs some Democrats to vote with them in the United States Senate in order to get a deal. So they'll have to make some concession to Democrats. The question is, what concession do Democrats want? And is the White House prepared to give that concession? We'll wait and see how this meeting goes tomorrow. There should be some interesting body language around the table as they sit down to talk about all this. Guys, and, back and, over you. And they need to do this in order for the Senate and the House conferees to actually continue their work on tax. Yeah, well, the, the tax thing operates on a separate track, right? Okay. The government shutdown is a, is a spending issue. The tax bill is a separate issue. So the conferees are working. And, and it, the politics of it, though, get kind of complicated because you've got these two massive deals happening right at the same time. So there's a lot of horse trading behind the scenes, as you can imagine, on both of those. But the spending bill is a different thing. That's the government spending to keep the government open. The tax bill is tax cuts and the tax structure going into next year. All right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers in Washington for us. So, Dan, does that change your thoughts in terms of the influence 
of no, the shutdown I think, measure. I think what uh, Eamon said is really important. There's going to have to be some concessions, and I right. think the Democrats are going to stand very, very strong on the DACA thing, and this is something that a lot of Republicans said that they want to do. Right. This was part of that original deal-making with Chuck and uh, Nancy a couple months ago, but again, this goes back to that whole clip that they just showed of Trump. Again, the world heavyweight champion of liars. I mean, when you think about it, he's the only one who's talking about shutdown. He's talking about the crime and this and that, whatever. He's talking about DACA. He's, these are the immigrants. It's really Is there it's anything, really though, that they could concede? Is there any kind of concessions that they can do within the, the, the framework of what they got now so they can get any kind of a deal or no? In your mind, of course there is. I mean, I, I think if they actually do a deal on DACA and they go to actually, you know, kind of legalize these 800,000 people who are brought here against their own will, I think that's something that they'll get their budget. You know, I think the VIX is telling, in my opinion, the VIX is telling you that this is not a concern of the market. Whether it gets done is it or this week or whether it gets done by Christmas, I think something gets done. Will everybody like it? No, but that's that's horse trading, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. The bigger thing is, will they ram this tax thing through before the end of the year? And I still think the answer is yes. You know, he, the president has said a number of times, I want to give the American citizens a great big fat Christmas, Christmas present, present. Yep. in the form of this beautiful tax bill. And I think that's really what they have their eye on. And I think it's going to get done. I agree. It's the most likely scenario. Most likely. No matter how watered down, no matter how phased out it has to be, no matter what they have to do at the very end, they'll get something done. Still ahead, another day, another high for Bitcoin. The cryptocurrency topping 13000 for the first time ever. But could a crackdown in Washington derail the rally? We will explain. Plus, Broadcom and Lululemon out with earnings after the bell. Those stocks are higher. We'll hear from the C-suite later on this hour. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin topping 13,000 for the first time ever today as cryptos continue to captivate America. It could be about to face major anti, uh, major crackdown in D.C. Seema Modi's got more on that story. Hey, Seema. Hey there. Regulators are certainly paying closer attention to cryptocurrencies. The SEC is said to be devoting more resources towards its cyber unit that looks at misconduct involving distributed ledger technology and initial coin offerings. Just this week, the SEC froze assets of PlexiCoin, which has raised $15 million in an ICO for falsely promising a 13-fold profit in less than a month to investors. Now, Catherine Huan, who was the first cryptocurrency director for the Department of Justice, told CNBC she's anticipating some large enforcement actions in the coming year. Former SEC Commissioner Paul Atkins says investors need to be wary and try to do their homework before putting their money into initial coin offerings. Atkins following up by saying that part of the challenge is getting up to speed. Also, the sheer size of the global cryptocurrency market makes it difficult to monitor and track down bad characters. Meantime, startups in 2017 have so far raised over $3 billion in initial coin offerings. And beyond the SEC, the U.S. Treasury Department is reviewing how the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network is addressing the use of cryptocurrencies to fund illegal activities. Meantime, the president, uh, President Trump has not publicly addressed Bitcoin in the recent surge, but keep an eye on two individuals in his inner circle. One is Mick Mulvaney, who prior to becoming budget director, co-founded the Congressional Blockchain Caucus in 2016. Second is Tom Brasseur of Homeland Security, who Press Secretary Sanders recently said is monitoring this space. Melissa? All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi uh, and Mick Mulvaney, of course, now also the head 
interim head of the CFPB to protect consumers. So that sort of also intersects with this whole space here. But what, what are you expecting in terms of is regulation the biggest sort of wild card? Let me card? quote BK because he's talked about this mm -hmm. a bunch. I mean, BK welcomes it. I mean, a lot of people that you talk about, they want to see some of these bad actors taken out in some enforcement actions. They want to see some regulation because regulation really means that the, you have actually the authorities buying into the whole process. They're not going to be, you know, overseeing the process. That's the whole point of, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies, that sort of thing. So I think a very measured approach towards regulation and taking out some bad actors should be a very bullish thing for cryptocurrency. If I wanted to uh, do an ICO, I'd do it now. I'd do it really fast, right, Pete? Do it. Try to use right? speed and try to get out there. I think mm -hmm. the, one, the most important thing for the people watching at home, quite frankly, is knowledge. And that was one of the things mm -hmm. she brought up as well is get up to speed. Do the crash course. You've got to really figure this whole thing out as fast as humanly possible because Sure, it looks so great right now, and we all love what we're seeing in terms of the returns up $2,800 today. Unbelievable. But I think the regulatory side of it and the exchanges getting involved will absolutely enforce some of that. So that, that'll be helpful. All right. Well, as Bitcoin continues to surge, it does seem like anything it touches turns to gold. Check out the so-called Bitcoin stocks, Square, Overstock, CME, CBOE, all soaring this year. But there's been a bit of a divergence of late. The CME and CBOE have surged to record highs recently as Wall Street awaits Bitcoin futures in the next two weeks. Meantime, Overstock and Square, Square, which initially got a boost after embracing Bitcoin on their platforms, have entered bear markets. We should note Square did get a boost earlier today after CEO Jack Dorsey tweeted it was rolling out Bitcoin to more of its Cash App users, but the stock gave back all of those games. All of this begging the question, what is a Bitcoin stock and what is not? Oh, it's a fun game. Yeah, it is. Is it a game? It, it, it can be. Oh, I, I mean, now. as long as we answer the, the question, what is a Bitcoin? Let, let's take the exchanges, for instance. Okay. CME and CBOE. I, see, I would say, listen, I understand that the last little run-up in the CME has mm -hmm. been based in large part due to this Bitcoin bonanza. But look at CME <laughs> over the, when, when Bitcoin wasn't even a word, and this stock, this company was doing extraordinarily well. Terry Duffy is a great CEO. With or without Bitcoin, the stock goes higher. I think it's just sort of turbocharged. So it is not a Bitcoin In my stock. opinion, Melissa, not. I answered the question. I tried to give you a little no, no, you know, I, verbiage. I, I just want to make sure answer. that people walk away with an answer <laughs> so we can put the buzzer up there. Buzzer. Would you agree with him? As a guy who's a CBOE guy, and yeah, I look at the volumes right. this year, and particularly I look at November's volumes, uh, 22 million mm -hmm. options trading per day. I mean... I think whether Bitcoin's there or not, the one thing is people are always looking for leverage in the markets. And the one place that they can get that still is the derivatives markets. Can Bitcoin help them? Sure. But I, they don't need Bitcoin. So, so I'm going to say not. not. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Thank and. you. Let's move on. Square. Yeah, Square. Not a Bitcoin stock. She played the game perfectly. Not you know what, she, she said she not right away. She played the phone stop. book and you would have said she's playing right. the game perfectly. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, <laughs> Square is doing a lot of great things. The fundamental parts of their business are doing really well. This Bitcoin thing came about very recently. The stock took off on it. It is not the reason. To, that's a tail wagging the dog to own Square because of Bitcoin. Not a Bitcoin stock. Uh, so, so all great points, and I agree with you. It's not a Bitcoin stock. The rule that I would use is if 98% of their sales next year are going to be X Bitcoin, then it's not a Bitcoin stock. Okay, apply but, your rule then to Overstock. But no, but oh, can I just nice. make one point? But I downloaded the Cash app from because Square. Of, you know why? Because I want to see about trading Bitcoin on the Cash app. But so it's to in me, the beta testing, right? Can you do it yet? Yeah, they're, that's what the tweet today well, was right, about. Is it out Dor Dorsey. So why couldn't this thing emerge as a, as a competitor to Coinbase in a year or something like that? Especially if so, they charge so, less. So to me, what I'm Coinbase saying is this is kind of how I'm doing my homework. I'm downloading the app. I'm using it. That's one of their uh, one of their products, but I don't think it's a Bitcoin stock, but I would consider buying it for the potential in the future. So it is. 
or it's not. <laughs> it's not according to your current rule. Not right it now. Can and be it could be. And I'll tell you where I'd buy this. Because nobody wants to play this game like. with me. Well, we're having a nice I mean, discussion, though, too. It looks like a not with a not. little bit of a yes. So no. there is can, you no, answer, uh, can, you, can you please answer uh, my question uh, about uh, Overstock, uh, then? Uh, Overstock, I think, is the one that they, they're creating a platform for people to trade ICOs. And this is a company... Uh, it is right now. I, I don't know. I never thought about Overstock until Bitcoin was attached to it. So, yes. Listen, I'll, I'll say quickly because Dan doesn't want to answer the question. From, he from, did. He did. It just took him a long time. From 40 to 60, way. it was a Bitcoin stock. And from 60, so that's, that's the answer to that question. So if you give me a half of an X. And can I tell you something? I don't know all about it, but all I know is Brian Kelly is just, you want to see something cr- <laughs> What? Watch it's Brian confusing. Kelly. Watch how excited he is when you just watch this footage coming up on the Brian Kelly. I know they're going to they're gonna run it because they just told me in my ear they're going to run it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Audio <laughs> only. What in the world? <laughs> what? But anyway. Nice the Nice video. They just <laughs> the left me out to dry. Dan oh, knows a lot. Oh, there he comes. There it is. Oh. Guy broke the this show. Was for, this was for Bitcoin week. All week next week, <laughs> top players in Bitcoin going to be on fast. <laughs> Maybe they will play the game with me. Anyway, still ahead, Broadcom higher in the after-hour session. The company conference call is underway. We'll hear from CFO about the CEO, from the CEO about its potential deal with Qualcomm. Plus, retail stocks surging 10% in the last month. Former SAC CEO Steve Sadov says the rally ain't over yet. He'll tell us what has him so bullish. Much more fast money still ahead. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Chip Giant Broadcom moving higher in the after-hour session after reporting earnings. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with the very latest from the conference call where the CFO just spoke to investors about the company's bid for Qualcomm. Hey, Josh. That's right, Melissa. So, of course, a key question for Broadcom investors, that bid for Qualcomm. Uh, obviously, Qualcomm saying, listen, that bid, in their opinion, undervalues the company. We know Broadcom has gotten more aggressive, ready to nominate that slate of directors for Qualcomm's board, Qualcomm's annual shareholder meeting next March. On the company's conference call just now, uh, the company's CFO, Thomas Krauss, addressed that. Take a listen. Well, we have taken this step. It remains our strong preference to engage in a constructive dialogue with Qualcomm. We firmly believe that this complementary transaction will position the combined company as a global communications leader, enabling us to deliver more advanced semiconductor solutions for our global customers and drive enhanced shareholder value. We continue to receive positive feedback from stockholders and customers. Now, if this merger really took place, of course, it would create a true tech giant. And one question is, would that attract the attention of regulators? Thomas Krauss saying that uh, Broadcom remains confident in his opinion that regulatory requirements would be met, in his words, in a timely manner. And just looking through the business segments as well, Melissa, this quarter wired infrastructure revenues, so chips for networking infrastructure, $2.2 billion. Wireless communications revenues, so chips enabling Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, GPS, $1.8 billion. Of course, big customers there include Apple. Melissa, back to you. You know, it's right. funny. I thought yeah. Mildell said we had Josh Lipton breaking news on Broad Cavago, whatever they yeah, call that. Yeah. I mean, that's Magnum P.I. we got going there. Top selling. I mean, look at he, he's, he's got looks, a lot going on, that Josh. He's got, he's got a somebody beard, out there on Twitter land should make it I mean, Josh's beard a Twitter account or yeah. Josh's beard and vest. He's all layered up, yeah. Look at that, man. That's a good-looking <laughs> man. He didn't have, Magnum P.I. didn't have a beard. He had a mustache, dude. <laughs> He looks a little Tom Selleck. Is that? He looks a little Tom Selleck. He sure. Why not? 
Is that a compliment, John? It's a handsome dude, man. I will take it. Hey, listen. I I just want to thank you guys. I've been compared a lot worse than Tom Selleck, so thank you. We all have. Usually, usually, guy, I get more of like a Ben Stiller thing. So thank you, sir. I appreciate. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton, bearded Josh Lipton. All right, sticking with the chips, one trader's betting the once hot stocks are in for more pain ahead. So, Dan, why don't you break it down? Yeah, so this was in the SMH, just an ETF that tracks the uh, semiconductor index. Um, Today, there was a bearish roll. Put activity was actually seven times average daily volume today. We know the SMH is down about 8% from its recent all time highs. It's still up 35% of the year, but there was this bearish roll just short dated today when this ETF was trading at 97 bucks. There was a seller to close of 6,000 this week, 98. Eight and a half puts, but they rolled it out to next week, next Friday, and they bought 7,000 of the uh, 96 strike puts uh, for I think about a buck 20 or so. Those break even uh, down at 94.80, kind of an important near term technical level in the SMH. But really, this just tells me someone rolling down um, probably some protection or a near term bearish uh, view. Uh, just quickly, Pete, uh, let's say SMH goes down. Can Broadcom still go higher on the back of a deal? You know, I, I think that they can just based, based upon their earnings. I mean, all of these stocks popped on their earnings, and now they've been selling it off. And a lot of that, I think, you talked about the SMH being up 35% still. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty incredible run so far this year, so sure. All right. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, Lulu surging after hours. That stock has been on a hot streak. We'll tell you what's behind the move. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Lululemon surging after hours. The stock has been on a tear up 16% in just the past month. Pete, you got in via options yeah, yesterday, just, was it? No, today. today. And, and there was some very, very late option activity in there, but also playing the earnings. The idea that, you know, where is the growth going to come from? E-commerce, that was up 26%, and menswear, which is another area where they've been focused on. They beat on the earnings. They beat on the revenue. They have a $200 million buyback. They are really clicking on all cylinders, I think, right now. When you look at the limited number of stores that they got, e-commerce is where they're going to have to grow even faster. They are doing it, and they're doing it the right way, and we all know the margins are unbelievable. So. Right, for more on retail, let's bring in former Saks chairman and CEO Steve Sadoff. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, we've seen somewhat of a resurgence in retail of late in the past few weeks or so. Is this for real? Well, I think it is for real. The, uh, if you look at the holiday sales, Thanksgiving, we were up well over 4%. The holiday season forecast is 4% or more. And you're hitting it out of the park online. And the traditional brick-and-mortar players seem to be adapting. And it's while they've got some fundamental secular issues, they're hitting it out of the park relative to expectations. Is it, is it going to be the case of the winners keep winning and the losers will go away? Oh, no question the winners are going to keep winning and the losers are going to lose. What, how fast they go away is going to be an interesting question. And the winners are going to be the ones that provide value, experience, and uh, convenience. And if you hit on those three elements, then you can be a winner. Otherwise, you've got some real problems. Do you see when the losers lose, where they get to like a Sears or a JCPenney and maybe they actually get to zero, how, how pervasive will that be on, for, for pressure for pricing and how long will it take to work through that? Well, look, this is an industry that's been consolidating for years. You have far too many stores in the United States. It's probably three or four times per capita the number of square feet than you have in the rest of the world. So you're going to continue to see that uh, going down. It's not going to be about just about the price question because you already have the 
price uh, transparency because of the internet, you're going to have margin squeezes. You're going to have continued capital investments that are required. But these companies are going to continue to consolidate. And you're going to see less stores, more online. Doesn't mean brick and mortar is going away. You still have 80, 90 percent brick and mortar. So, Steve, you were on uh, the morning show last month, and you made a really nice call. You thought these, uh, the stocks were just a little too overdone. The sentiment was a little too bad. Is this really more a, a matter of investor sentiment and not really a great improvement because we have you know, easy compares maybe versus last year, that sort of thing? I mean, was this just an oversold rally, and you should be out in January of the losers that you just mentioned? Uh, clearly of some of the losers. However, I do think that it was an oversold situation where people had written the sector off and then they were surprised when they saw the very strong performance during the Thanksgiving period that's continuing on into the uh, December. It's not doing badly. And I think what's surprising is that the apparel manufacturers, and I'm not talking about just the retailers, the G3s, the PVHs, VF, today you saw some uh, good numbers coming out of some of the uh, Lululemon we just talked about. The apparel makers are learning how to work with Amazon how to work with the Internet players and play both the brick-and-mortar traditional department stores and adapt to the new world. And that seems like that would be a disadvantage to the brick-and-mortar, to the so-called distributors of those brands like a Macy's. And what we've seen in Macy's for the past month, Steve, is a 43% snapback higher in shares of Macy's. Is that, is that a, a head fake? Now, I don't know. If the, it's, I don't think it's a head fake. Macy's has a lot of strengths, but they have uh -huh. a lot of strategic issues that they have to deal with, too. They're in a world where the consumer is changing extremely fast. They're changing quickly, but they've got to even move more quickly. I love that they brought in the president of eBay into the organization. That's showing that they're bringing culture change to that organization. But they've got to look at some out-of-the-box uh, products, thinking you can't have Me Too products, so mm -hmm. they've got to have more exclusivity. They've got a big challenge. They've got to look at their real estate again in terms of monetizing it. But I think they're making some real progress. All right, Steve, good to see you. Thanks so much for coming by. Steve Sadoff. Former chairman and CEO of Saks. One of the Pretty early fast money guests yes, here from of, the beginning. I just yeah, I'd like to point that mm -hmm. out. Um, some of these have been trades, Dollar Gen, for example, Nordstrom's, for example. Others are investments that continue to work despite what Home Depot, the, despite the sell-off. I think Home Depot still goes higher. I think Pete would agree with that as well. I, I like brands. You talk about department right. stores being under pressure, still long cores. It's had a very nice bounce back. So you're still long. Yeah, still, still long cores. Right. Yeah. Up next, final trades. Here's the latest on Bitcoin crossing 14,000 to a fresh record high. Wow, 14,250. Wait an hour, it might be a 15. Time for the final trade, Pete. It is not the end of tech. I agree with Mike Wilson. Microsoft, big calling in the big call buying in there today. I think it goes high. Karen, it's coming a little bit as the markets come in, but I still like GM right here. Uh, Pete said he didn't get shaken out in Disney. I did a couple months ago. I'm looking for a re-entry, probably close to 102. Hey, Great to have you cool. back, Melms. Don't think Good I didn't notice. Back. You haven't been around for the last few days. We've had Sullivan and Scott Wagner, but you're Very back. Capable. You know, if you Very like those railroads, Pete, those, those choo-choos, you got to like the people <laughs> that fix the railroads and service the industries. That would be TRN. TRN! Get it, Trinity. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks nice for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. 
Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 